Hello and welcome back to Catching Up on Capitol Hill, the series in which we discuss the latest in tax legislation and in tax policy. I'm your host, John Gimigliano. Now look, we've seen some Capitol Hill drama, floor of the House, floor of the Senate, theater over the years. We've seen bills that were expected to pass fail, and we've seen dramatic thumbs up and deflating thumbs down over the years. But in all that, honestly, last Friday was its own kind of unusual. I'm talking about, of course, the action in the House last week where the House finally approved the bipartisan infrastructure bill, but failed to advance the Build Back Better Act, at least for now. Consider the fact that a Republican motion to adjourn, a pretty common stall tactic by the minority party, that was scheduled to run 15 minutes, actually took more than seven hours before Democrats could finally defeat the motion. That's a record, and by far, for the longest vote in House history. Now recall, the Build Back Better Act contains the Biden tax plan, or really what's left of the Biden tax plan, as the principal means of paying for that $2 trillion bill. But that process, in particular, getting the bipartisan bill through the House, was a true touch and go situation all day last Friday, and it wasn't clear that it would pass until, well, it actually passed. And it passed with the help of a surprising number of Republican yes votes, who compensated for a handful of Democratic no votes. I won't once again go into the politics and the strategy between the two bills, the bipartisan infrastructure and the Democratic-only Build Back Better Act. We've done that plenty here over the last few months. Suffice it to say that, as we speculated a few episodes ago, progressive Democrats, well, they finally loosened their grip on the wolf's ears. So now, I know what you're saying, John. This is interesting and everything, but what's all this mean for the Build Back Better Act? and more pointedly, the tax provisions therein? That's an excellent question, and that's our topic for today. And stick around, because the last topic I want to get to in our discussion is timing, specifically a very clear-eyed and honest look at the 2021 calendar, the amount of work left to be done, and whether it's still possible to pass the Build Back Better Act this year. So it's going to be a good one today, and I'm joined by your friends, Jennifer Gray and Tom Stout, to parse these difficult questions. Okay, so Tom, first question is for you. Can you explain to us exactly what happened in the House last Friday? I mentioned that there was a lot of drama, but just give us a little more detail. Well, I can try. I think first a little background for anyone who's forgotten. The Democrats have an eight-seat majority in the House, so they can only afford to lose three votes on anything. And in the Senate, they can't even afford to lose one with a 50-50 tie. And what's been going on is the Build Back Better Act has been sort of held hostage by the House progressives who feared that if they were to pass the bipartisan infrastructure bill, which is also pending and passed the Senate, that they would lose any leverage they had to get the the BBBA passed. But with the Virginia elections, which didn't fare well for the Democrats, and Biden's poll numbers being fairly low, there was an increased pressure from the leadership on the progressives to agree to let the the bipartisan infrastructure bill move forward. They agreed to pass both the infrastructure bill and the BBBA without waiting for what they've been waiting for, which is an ironclad agreement from the Senate to pass the, uh, the version of the BBBA that came out of the House. But that plan was foiled by the House moderates, a group of five of them, who were reluctant to vote for the BBBA 
without the Congressional Budget Office revenue estimates to show what the ultimate cost was and whether the cost was fully offset by the revenue raisers that were in there. So there was some back and forth on the, basically we're talking about the November 5th version of the bill, the second version that came out of the Rules Committee. There was finally an agreement that resulted in a, a statement by those House moderates, a very carefully worded statement that allowed the bipartisan infrastructure bill to move forward which they passed and sent to the Senate. And the statement is, and and I want to actually read it because it's important to parse some of it out. It says, we commit to voting for the BBBA in its current form, other than technical changes, as soon as we receive fiscal information from the Congressional Budget Office, but in no event later than the week of November 15th. And then it also adds, consistent with the top lines for revenue investments and investments in the White House preliminary budget estimate. So it's a, it's a very carefully worded statement that suggests that they're ready to move forward, even without the CBO estimates, if necessary, but also anticipating the estimates would be consistent with the White House numbers that we've seen that would fully offset the cost of the bill. So I want to come back to that in a second, but before we go back to the statement, What else did the progressives get out of this deal then? They got a statement. They didn't get the bill, but they got the rule. Is that right? So for people who don't know exactly what it means to get a rule, we'll just talk about that for a second, Tom. Basically, in order for legislation to move through the House, the first thing that happens is the Rules Committee puts out a rule that sets out the terms of the debate on the bill. It's largely a procedural step, although the Rules Committee can make changes, and that's what happened with this bill. But voting for the rule basically is a little additional commitment by the House moderates who voted for the rule. They're going to vote for this thing when it finally reaches the floor. That's the question, is how significant are those votes for the rule? Because the vote for the rule may be identical to the vote for the final bill, or not necessarily. I mean, they're not bound by that, but it is a step, a baby step, but it is a step towards passage of the Build Back Better Act when and if they finally take that vote. So in exchange for releasing the bipartisan bill, what you're saying, Tom, is they got the statement, plus they got a vote on the rule, even if not the bill. Got it. Right. Okay. Right. And no is a vote. Right. Okay. Well, Jennifer, now to you. So this statement, boy, it's interesting. Tom gave us a reading of it. Let's just break this down a little bit more. So can you just give me your view of what this statement is and maybe is not? Well, I think it's somewhat hard to tell. (laughs) Certainly when you read through it, you can read it a lot of ways. As Tom indicated, it seems to be somewhat contingent upon receiving estimates from the Congressional Budget Act that are consistent with the numbers that the White House prepared for the bill. I think one question everyone has is how will the CBO score the increased spending in IRS enforcement? In the past, the numbers that the CBO has allocated to being raised by those or increasing revenues coming into the government by those IRS investments has been less than what Treasury or the White House has assigned to those. So then the question comes in, If those numbers are not the same as what the White House put forward, whether that be with regard to the IRS investments or or other things, what does that mean for these five members who put forward the statement? And to be honest, I think you can read it either way. 
It says they commit to voting for the Build Back Better Act, but then it also talks about that these numbers from the CBO should be consistent with the White House numbers. So going to be interesting to see what happens at the end of the day. It does indicate that there theoretically should be a vote sometime next week. What's unclear to me from reading this is what inconsistent numbers from the CBO mean for their commitment to have a vote next week, or at least to vote in favor of the bill next week. I mean, that's really the question, isn't it? And it's going to be fascinating to see how this plays out, because if you read it as saying, we commit to vote for the bill next week, right? That's all it says. And that would be the most aggressive reading uh, of it. Then what does all that other language do? It does something, right, as a matter of interpretation of statutory or other interpretation. That language must mean something, because if all they were trying to say is, we promise to vote for the bill next week, you wouldn't have all that extraneous. So it's in there to mean something, but they're not saying we will only vote for the bill if the CBO numbers check out. So it's really fuzzy. I mean, I guess it's written with enough wiggle room for everybody to give themselves enough room to claim whatever they want to claim it says when the time comes. Right. And if you compare that with the Progressive Caucus put out a statement right after moderates put out their statement, and the language in it is certainly stronger. It says, our colleagues have committed to voting for the transformative Build Back Better Act as currently written no later than the week of November 15th, period. So certainly some differences between the statements uh, put forward by the two groups. And so the big question is going to be, if either the CBO numbers come back and the bill is not in balance, in other words, it does not pay for itself, or The CBO numbers don't come back, both of which we think are very possible because, as you mentioned, the IRS score doesn't check out or CBO just simply can't produce them. It's going to be really interesting to see. Go back to parsing that language the five moderates signed on to. And remember, there's only five of them. And as Tom said, they could lose three of those five, potentially, assuming there's no other no votes. So there's still room to get this done next week. But sitting here today, it's not an absolute certainty. Well, I think assuming there are no other votes is probably a big assumption. There are at least one or two folks I can think of who have indicated some concerns with the reconciliation bill that are not signed on to that statement. The other thing, just as a general matter, I find it very interesting that both the moderates and the progressives seem to feel the need to have a written statement in their discussions with each other and what you can extrapolate from that regarding the relationships within the caucus, I think are interesting. It is interesting. I mean, he's saying we're publicly holding each other accountable. And if we need to do it again, I will bring out the statement that you signed last week and wave it around if I need to. That's that's exactly right. Well, then, Tom, look, we've talked a lot about what happens next week. So tell us, are we absolutely certain there's going to be a vote? I mean, has the speaker absolutely committed that they are going to vote on the Build Back Better Act when they return to Washington next week? And then if so, like just talk about what we should expect and how that might play out. Well, the significance of the 15th is that Congress is scheduled to adjourn for the Thanksgiving break at the end of the week on the 19th. You know, so we're probably looking at 19th as a practical deadline. And the reason why that was viewed as important to get that done before the Thanksgiving break is they're only going to be back in for two weeks or because they've got a, right now a December 10th adjournment for Christmas set, assuming they push that out another week, which is certainly possible, only three weeks for the Senate to take this and deal with it before the end of the year. That's the reason why the schedule was set. It's obviously not an ironclad schedule because people can go back. These agreements aren't written in blood. There's nothing going to happen to these members other than potentially some political flack if they don't agree to a vote next week. So I think there's a lot of pressure to do it before the end of the the week of the 15th, before next Friday. 
Now, the thing to keep in mind here, too, is the CBO estimate, which is the wild card in all this. All indications are that the final CBO estimates on the entire bill probably are not going to be out next week. You know, that works for and against things here, I guess, is potential out if they want to go back on the agreement and say, look, we still don't know what the final numbers are. We still can't vote for this bill. But that doesn't seem to be what they're indicating. And these indications that the CBO wouldn't be ready by the end of next week have been there for some time. The House does not need them officially to vote for the bill. The Senate does, you know, and they'll probably be out before December, which is when the Senate's going to get around to this. So it still seems likely, although you know not certain, that the House will vote on this thing at the end of next week, the, uh, the week of the 15th, and to me at least, probably without the CBO estimates. The last element of this is you know, the House is almost certainly going to have to vote on this again. So there's going to be another crack at potentially voting no if they don't like the final numbers to come back from the Senate, because the Senate's going to make changes in the bill. And of course, that will require repassage by the House. For sort of all those reasons, I expect the vote to take place next week, but you know, I wouldn't bet the farm on it. <laughs> well, you know, you make an interesting observation about those CBO estimates, sort of the dueling realities of getting them or not getting them. On the one hand, you can see progressives telling the CBO, produce these numbers because we need them, convince our moderate colleagues to vote. So we need them. On the other hand, if you're concerned that the numbers aren't going to check out, and I think that's a reasonable concern, the IRS enforcement number in particular is going to be notable. Maybe they're not so anxious to get those CBO scores and just say to the moderates, trust us. You know, you don't need these scores. They're not going to come out. So that's really interesting. And, you know, I guess one last question for you, Tom. What could go wrong? If we really believe that those letters say, we promise to vote for it, then could anything go wrong along the way to approving this bill next week? Well, certainly the CBO estimates could come out and be wildly off. And some of the private estimates, not just, as you mentioned, the, the IRS funding, which is not part of an official estimate from the CBO. So we know there's going to be that shortfall which more official than political, they can still treat that money as real. But some of the private estimates that have come out on some other elements of the bill have been considerably different from the ones the White House put out. So that's certainly one thing that could go wrong. And, you know, the deal could fall apart. As Jennifer mentioned, there may be one or two other no votes on this anyway. Uh, in fact, I, I could probably identify one hard no vote, but there were a couple of the so-called moderates who did not sign on to this statement. And I suspect they didn't sign on because they didn't want to commit to voting for this thing. So there are a number of things that could go wrong next week. More drama to look forward to. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. Well, Jennifer, we spent a lot of time on the House side. Let's jump to the other side of the Capitol and talk about the Senate, because as Tom says, that is the next step. And there's going to be plenty of action over there, too, when it gets to the Senate. What happens when this bill, let's assume that they pass it next week, Right. And then Congress leaves for the Thanksgiving recess. What happens when that bill goes over to the Senate side? One of two things can happen. Either the Senate can start with the House bill and make modifications to it, or the Senate can really write their own bill and pretty much start from scratch. Um, so it'll be interesting to see which of those they decide to do. But certainly there are complicated negotiations going on inside the Senate as well as in the House. So I think those negotiations will continue. And at this point, I think it's anyone's guess how long those might take. But you know, as Tom pointed out, the calendar is getting short. We're 
almost at Thanksgiving. So even if the House is able to pass that bill, Nick, when they come back, technically, the Senate is only in for two weeks. I would anticipate they would extend until at least the 17th of December. And don't forget, there have been votes on Christmas Eve. So it's possible you know, they could stretch that out as long as four weeks. But that's still you know, potentially not a lot of time to try to finalize a vote of this magnitude. Let me ask you this, just to make sure everybody listening understands this. Congress is leaving for a Thanksgiving recess, but that doesn't mean work stops, correct? That staff will be working and even the members of the Senate theoretically could be working. So assuming that's true, what will be happening during that week while they're on recess in terms of advancing progress on the Build Back Better Act once it gets to the Senate? a lot of negotiations going on trying to figure out which Democratic members are comfortable with what provisions and which are uncomfortable with what provisions. And then I suspect that there will need to be staff work perhaps coming in and doing some drafting, uh, modifying provisions on the various ideas that they were able to get buy-in on. You know, at the end of the day, as Tom indicated, they have to get every single Democratic senator on board with this bill. And with a bill this size, I think that is going to be a challenge. Senator Manchin has indicated he would like to see the bill shrink from where it is in the House. So that certainly could result in some difficult decisions. There were a lot of changes on the tax side, on the pay-fors, as the bill moved through the House. So it would be interesting to see how the Senate responds to some of those uh, tax raisers in particular. Work will continue, progress will continue, but it's going to be tight. And you mentioned the calendar. I'm going to come back to the calendar as our last question here in a second. But before that, so let's just imagine this scenario because, Tom, you said something that you think, you know, the House is going to get another crack at this. <laughs> we throw this out there as a possibility because this has happened before. Is there a scenario where the Senate negotiates a bill, they negotiate it, and they are able to get the votes? They get 50, all 50 Democratic senators plus the vice president votes for it, get it out of the Senate. And then the Senate leaves for the year, sends it back to the House and says, see you in January, House, and then leaves the House with a take it or leave it proposition. Is that possible or do you think the stakes here are too high to play that level of brinksmanship? Well, it's certainly possible. I mean, you would expect that the White House would be, the president would be on top of this and make sure that everybody was, you know, as close as they could be to what they think can get through. And there's, on the other side, there's there's also been a lot of pre-conferencing of this going forward. I mean, the, the reason why there are no rate increases in this bill isn't because they wouldn't pass the House. It was because, you know, the, the Senate wouldn't pass the rate increases because of objections over there. So, you know, they've resolved a lot of issues. They certainly haven't resolved all the issues. There are clearly some issues, especially with the minimum tax, which is replacing the, the corporate rates. There are a lot of questions being raised about parts of that. So there will be changes made, but you know those are kind of under the political radar for the most part. They are not things that will stop the bill or that will necessarily cause some senator to vote against it. They've done a lot to move this along, coordinating with the Senate so far. It is still possible that they could do this before the end of the year, which is sort of their key here. They clearly want to get this done before they leave. All right, well, then let's get to this calendar. So let's think really hard about the calendar. Today is November 11th. How can they get this done before, let's say, December 31st? Let's do this exercise, mental exercise, or in real life, blank piece of paper at one end, write November 11th, that's today, at the other end, write December 31st. And let's think of all the things that have to happen between now and then to get this to the president's desk for signature. So the first thing is, as we've already discussed, next week the House has to revisit the Build Back Better Act and pass it and send it 
over to the Senate before they leave for Thanksgiving. Got it, right? They come back the week after Thanksgiving. When they return, they've got other things to deal with, right? So somebody remind us, when they were, what's their biggest priority, you think, when they come back from Thanksgiving, their biggest must-do? Well, they have to do a continuing resolution to keep the government open past December 3rd. So that's certainly must-do. They have the debt ceiling. We're not sure of the timing of that. Originally, it was advertised as being an extension until the beginning of December, but uh, it's possible that could go longer, maybe even into next year. I think they're still running the numbers and figuring that out. And then, you know, on top of that, they do have the National Defense Authorization Bill, which is one that passes every year, and that has still not been dealt with in the Senate. And that's a, a minimum of a week, more than likely longer if they want to try to have that completed by the end of the year as well. So the the calendar is very, very squeezed in the Senate. So trying to prioritize those things here. So Tom, let me ask you, if you had to rank them, Michael, must do, want to do, continuing resolution, you know, not having a government shutdown, that's a must do, right? Like they ha- they cannot blow that December 3rd deadline. Fair enough? That's, that's a must do. And okay, you know, they, right. there's pretty much agreement on pushing that out, if not to maybe to Christmas, maybe even to January or February, the Republicans would agree to push it out. So, you know, I think that one's, it's, it must be done, but may not be all that difficult to do. I think the debt ceiling is more of a wild card here because that's more difficult to do. And we don't yet know when that needs to be done. That one's complicated. And we have so that's a must, that's a must do, right? That that is we, don't, do. we don't know when we when we must do it exactly right okay got right. it and remember what a drama we had over it last time and then they pushed it out into december republicans are trying to get democrats to use budget reconciliation to use do with democratic only votes it takes time to do that so we're going to revisit all those same arguments here shortly on the debt limit if it is true that december is going to be an important deadline correct correct and we might see another another short-term extension of that too in order to get a deal together or whatever they're going to do, whether it's through budget reconciliation or some other way. Okay, so let's put that in the must category, although it's not exactly clear when it will come up. There's some speculation that passage of the bipartisan infrastructure bill, which isn't really fully paid for, accelerates the time that that might actually be required. We might have to do the debt limit, so there's that. Jennifer, you mentioned the defense authorization. What do you think? Must do? I think so. I mean, certainly it's a high priority. I believe there's a chance that it may start with floor time next week. At one point, Senator Schumer had indicated he wanted to move on the reconciliation bill next week, but obviously that's not going to be ready because it will not have come over from the House by then. So uh, my understanding is that they'll start on that. From what I've been told, that's generally a two-week process. Now, whether they can hurry that up and finish it you know, more quickly than two weeks, I, at this point, I'm just not sure. So that leaves us with our Build Back Better Act. We've got two musts, a maybe must, it probably several weeks of Senate attention to get those done. So let's say, what do you think is the soonest the Senate could process the tax bill and turn it around and you know approve it and send it back to the House? Is it mid-December? Is that a realistic timeline? Is that aggressive? Maybe. The thing that's going to hold this up, I suspect, when it gets to the Senate is that the CBO numbers will be out by then. The Senate needs them to act. The number that the CBO is going to come up with as a total gross spend on this is likely to be higher than it's going to be in the $2 trillion plus range, which is probably too high for Senator Manchin, who's been insisting on something in the 
1.5 to 1.75 range. So they're going to have to figure out how to reduce the overall cost, or they may have to in order to satisfy him. And then, you know, as we've already mentioned, uh, CBO is likely to find that the total cost isn't fully offset. So they're going to have to figure out how much spending to reduce to get it down to what's offset or come up with additional offsets or decide that politically things that aren't official offsets will count nonetheless, which is what they did with the with the bipartisan infrastructure bill. So they do have some things to figure out. Well, Jennifer, correct me if I'm wrong here. The, the House would like to have the CBO scores. The Senate must have the CBO scores, right, to be able to vote the bill out under budget reconciliation, correct? Correct. In order to confirm that they meet the requirements of the reconciliation rules, then they absolutely have to have those scores. So we're seeing how you know it's difficult for the CBO to process these numbers, and that could also delay this further. So, folks, I think what we're saying here is this is going to take a while, right? This is not imminent. I mean, there's going to be lots of action, but in terms of passage, it's hard to see it coming quickly, and it won't take much that could go wrong here that could push them after the Christmas holiday into that week between Christmas and New Year's and maybe bumping up against December 31st itself. So it's going to be a very, very interesting next six weeks or so to see if they can, in fact, do all the things they need to do to get the Build Back Better Act done this year. Thanks. That's all we have time for today. So look, today is November 11th. We've been talking about the Biden tax plan for what, almost 18 months, I guess now. We've done more than 50 episodes of this podcast, and almost all of them have been on that topic in one way or another. And here we are, with six weeks really left before that plan either happens or it doesn't. Yes, I know that there is no procedural or technical reason this effort couldn't spill into 2022. That's true, and it might. But Congress very much wants to finish this topic this year. But I just want to leave you with one reminder, reminding you of something I think you already know. Some of the Biden or the House tax proposals that have now dropped out of the bill or that are in and may not still survive to be signed into law, well, they probably aren't really going anywhere. Said differently, you've probably heard that famous quote from General Douglas MacArthur's farewell speech, that quote, old soldiers never die, they just fade away. But you may not have heard former President Richard Nixon's twist on that quote, and it is, Old politicians usually die, but they never fade away. And so it may be with some of these tax revenue raisers in the Biden plan or the Build Back Better Act that simply might not make it across the finish line this year. Look, ideas for cutting taxes are almost infinite, but they have an ephemeral nature. They come and go quickly. But revenue raising ideas are remarkable in their durability, circling back around every few years. So if you are lamenting the dozens of hours you spent familiarizing yourself with this provision or that provision that has now departed from the legislative effort, take my word and take solace. You'll meet again somewhere down the road. With that, thanks again for tuning in to Catching Up on Capitol Hill. Please don't forget to submit your questions, your comments, and your suggestions to our inbox. Take care, and I hope to see you soon. 